This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 120 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. One-on-one with Daniel Stewart. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our title sponsor is Omega Alpha. You can find them at omegaalpha.ca. This episode is also sponsored by Equestrian Collections. You can find them online at equestriancollections.com. Plus, Uncle Jimmy's brand products. They're also online at uncle-jimmys.com. This is Helena B., and you're listening to a special episode of the Stable Scoop Radio Show, one-on-one with Daniel Stewart. Let me tell you a little bit about the one-on-one series that we have going on here. Uh, Glenn and I thought it would be nice to give me the opportunity, <laughs> and him too, to uh, to really get in-depth with some of the guests that we've had on, uh, to go back and, and pick their brains and take the conversations that we start in previous episodes of Stable Scoop and expand upon them. And uh, so today we've had actually we've had Daniel Stewart on uh, before he's been on Horses in the Morning. He's been on Stable Scoop and um, the conversations with him. We seriously, we could go on for hours and hours and hours. So we thought that we would start these new episodes called One on One, where we do go into depth with our guests, with our specialists and uh, bring just a little bit more information to our listeners. Yes, we're still a little bit silly, but uh, we're also going to add a little bit of seriousness to uh, to these one on one episodes. So sit back and enjoy It's one-on-one with Daniel Stewart. Today, we're talking one-on-one with our guest, Daniel Stewart. Daniel is a riding coach, author, and clinician specializing in the biomechanics of riding and sports psychology. Daniel's first book, Ride Right, is a must-have for any rider's reference library. This book shares key information about how we can all balance our bodies and our minds to become better in the saddle. So today, Daniel and I are going to talk about what Ride Right means to him and why it should be important to you. In fact, much of what Daniel covers in his book is essential to successful writing, no matter what kind of writing it is that you do. But before this week's episode gets fully underway, I want to take a minute to highlight one of our sponsors, Omega Alpha. Omega Alpha Pharmaceuticals creates only natural health products. Their scientists, guided by Dr. Gordon Chang, formulate a wide variety of mainly herbal health products to address many equine health problems. And one of their users is international Canadian sensation event rider Jessica Phoenix. And we have Jessica on here for a second to tell us what she thinks about Omega Alpha. Well, hi, Jess. I hear that you use Omega Alpha. I do. I love their products. I've started using them this year, um, and the one product that I really love is Anti-Flam. It just takes the sting out of the horse's feet and keeps them moving comfortably. Um, and I know that from using it in our barn, a lot of horses have benefited from it. You can look for their products at retailers nationwide or visit their website at omegaalpha.ca. That's omegaalpha.ca. So welcome, Daniel, to this special episode of Stable Scoop. You've become quite popular around here, and I'm glad to have you back. <laughs> Good morning, Alina. I'm glad to hear I'm popular around there. You'll have to have to send a message to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel so popular around here anymore. <laughs> oh, you know that happens. We've all like spent our time in the doghouse every now and again. <laughs> yes, I sure do. <laughs> 
Um, I want to talk today about your book, Ride Right. I, I've read it. I loved it and definitely plan to use it in my own reference collection because it's clearly a book that's meant to be referred to over and over again. Um, what, was, what, what were you seeing in your coaching career that made you decide to invest in the effort of writing this book? You know, it's a really great question, and I'm, and I'm kind of glad that you brought that up because I get the impression so many, uh, so many books are set out there, uh, but we never really understand, you know, the motivation behind the book. And and there there was a real true motivation uh, behind when I wrote this book. So to answer your question, for for years I struggled with teaching writers. I had all of the tools, I had all of the uh, ability to to help my writers improve, but no matter no matter how hard I tried with those tools, I saw that they continued to struggle in overcoming imperfections and and, and actually improving. And ultimately, what I identified is that so many writing imperfections are in fact not writing imperfections, they're human being imperfections. For example, if a rider sits crooked on their horse, chances are they've learned to sit crooked at home or at work or, or at school. You know, for example, I see young riders constantly running to school. I see my children running to school with a backpack over one shoulder. So they mm-hmm. live their entire days, you know, elevating the right shoulder, dropping the left shoulder and collapsing the left hip. So, you know, no matter how hard I tried to straighten riders on their horse, when I sent them home and they ran to school with their backpack over one shoulder, for example, the body developed the muscle memory, which was less than perfect. And then that, you know, that, that showed up when they, were, when they were on their horses. So the motivation behind Ride Right was to actually encourage riders to take themselves off their horse, understand that who you are on your horse is who you are as a human. If you have a stiff hip as a human, likely you ride with pretty stiff hips. If you, uh, like I said, if um, if you're crooked in your regular life, chances are you might ride crooked. If your right hand is better than your left hand, chances are you might have more sensitive rein aids on the right dominant side. So the, the motivation behind the book was let's really as riders learn to understand that we are athletes and like any athletes, we need to take ourselves away from our sport, off our sport, and work on ourselves, knowing that if the exercises that we developed in, in Ride Right, if they can help a human become straighter, more supple, and have greater independent use of the right and left sides of their body, then we're actually creating greater riders, not on their horse, but off their horse. So I, I like that question. I appreciate you asking it. I, well, I, the the title is also interesting to me, and I I'm, I think it may after people read the book, it may, it may mean different things to different people. For me, I, the little light bulb went off at, at the very end. I said, you know, if I had if I want to go pick up a book to to learn how to eat right, or exercise right, or live well, it, that's sort of what ride right means to me. It's it's there is a right way of setting yourself up or, or living your life or or creating balance or, or strength, stamina, the right way before you get in the saddle. Am I even close? Well, I, I, yeah, I, I sure agree with you. And the one thing that I love in riders is the, the amount of care and love and dedication and time we spend on developing our horses. 
Uh, I don't know of any riders who are not focused on a good training program, a good healthy eating program, a turnout program. Riders will, um, they will consistently stretch their horses and warm their horses up before they work them. So I love that in equestrians is that we have this true dedication and understanding towards developing the, the equine athlete. I guess what the what the the frame and function or the frame and frame of mind, the subtitle of the book, I guess what we're really looking at is perhaps maybe we could consider treating ourselves just as well. Maybe we could dedicate as much time to developing a good eating habit uh, in the same way that we've done for our horses. Maybe as equestrian athletes, we could learn to stretch a little bit before we ride. We could warm up and cool down, that sort of thing. If we could identify the great things we do to our horses and plug them into ourselves, I believe that that would, that would help improve a great many riders, you know, both on their horse and off the horse. But, but ideally, I, I, th- I think you're right on, is, is that we spend so much time focusing on our horse. Ride right basically is to say, hey, good for you, well done, you've got the tools. Now turn it around and share it with yourself as well. And I think a lot of us forget that um, we are equestrian athletes. You know, there's there are things that we do to take care of ourselves for our chosen sports. And um, sometimes, and I think because riding is so much fun, <laughs> you know, whether you're doing it for pleasure, even if you're competing, it's, I think sometimes, and I've heard you say this before, that no matter what kind of riding you do, you are to some extent an athlete. And you kind of do have to treat your body and your life that way. I think so. And I, and I bet you every single one of your listeners has had this question before. And I've had these two great questions throughout my whole career. Um, you know, and, and the first question is, and, and I love this, my neighbor came over one day and he said, so you, who are you working with this weekend? I said, I'm working with a, a, a rider. She's been competing for 20 or 30 years and she's, she's doing really well. And he said to me, he said, Wait a second. She's been competing for thirty years, and she's still taking lessons from you. Well, when when is she going to get good? <laughs> when is she going to get good enough to stop taking lessons? People, non-equestrians, just don't have any real idea of the amount of of input that goes into what we do. And in, in 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 that, we truly are athletes. We're doing a hundred things at the same at the same second, and. That's the other question I get is, well, doesn't the horse just do all the work? Don't you just kind of sit there and try to look pretty? For the true rider, for the true equestrian athlete, we all realize the amount of effort we put into what we do. I've always said that, that yes, let's focus on developing the fit, balance, symmetrical, supple horse. But to do that, we have to develop the fit, balance, symmetrical, and supple rider. I just truly believe that it's, it's difficult for a horse to, to achieve his best if the rider is very stiff and, and crooked sitting on one seat bone with one leg in front of the girth and one leg behind the girth. That rider loves the horse, does everything they can for the horse, throws one bag of money after another to increase that horse's uh, ability to succeed. But until they focus on developing more suppleness, straightness, and symmetry, they kind of hinder the horse's development. So, um, so, so, so I really do believe in that fact. I, I stand behind that fact that we are athletes, and as such, we deserve to be treated as athletes, just the way our horses deserve to be treated as athletes. 
Now I, I'm laughing at your your you're throwing bags of money because it, it if we as we talk about the next part of, of we're going to start the, the discussion actually of of frame and function and body awareness and balance. It's well, you know, if you're going to throw bags of money, at least carry one bag in each hand so you're balanced. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> carry a big one on each side so that you're symmetrical. <laughs> so we have okay. So the the um one of the most essential parts. Of, of the book cover frame and functions. And like I said, things like balance and body awareness and position. And I believe you call this rider biomechanics. It, explain to us how important that is for riders to understand their own individual biomechanics. We touched on it a little bit, but specifically as it relates to sitting in the saddle and your effectiveness in the saddle. Oh, sure. I, I, I think that's great. And, and, and hopefully one of your listeners will have a light bulb go off on their head and come up with a better word for biomechanics. I like it. <laughs> it sounds kind of official. Much, it sounds very important, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I, the, the, the problem with biomechanics is that our support, our sport needs to be about sensation and feeling and uh, like you said body awareness and suppleness these sort of things that are very intrinsic whereas biomechanics sounds very well mechanical <laughs> however having said that the mechanics of riding the biomechanics meaning the actual human mechanics uh, 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 in riding uh, the, the the real important piece, you know, when, when we consider human biomechanics is that I've always believed whatever Whatever is, is, is sort of displayed in the rider gets transformed onto the horse. So if we have a very unbalanced rider, then we end up seeing a, a, a pretty unbalanced horse. If we have a horse or a rider who was very right-sided, the horse tends to the balance move to the right well, however, struggles moving to the left. So, so the biomechanics uh, it, it, it vary. When I worked with the, the U.S. Equestrian Team, one of my main jobs was to do videotape analyses of riders, hours after hours after hours of videotaping riders. Then, and it was it was the neatest thing. We would see this. We would we would videotape a rider, and then we would then we would watch the rider. And when we watched the rider, for example, we would see their leg swing at the canter. And we'd be like, oh, man. Then we would rewind the videotape and play it in slow motion so we could really see the leg swing. That's painful. Then we, and then, oh, and, and then, got, That's and then, painful. then we would rewind it again, and we'd watch it frame by frame by frame. And, and this is just so important for, for everyone, for your listeners to understand, is that there is only one kind of imperfection, one kind of biomechanic imperfection that we cannot overcome, and that's the one that we're not aware of. So if that rider on the videotape did not know their leg was swinging, they would have no desire or no necessity to improve it because they're not aware of it. So the, the biomechan- one important aspect of the biomechanics is that we have to identify what our mechanical imperfections are so that we can understand them and learn how to overcome them. There are three really simple causes of the leg swing at the canter, and only three. There are three causes of the leg swing at the canter. In that videotape analysis, we start by identifying the leg swing. There it is. Can you see it? Look at it in slow motion. Still don't see it? I bet you can see it now frame by frame. Once we identify it, great. We believe in it. We understand it, and then we own it. At that point, we actually 
start the process of overcoming it by learning what causes it. So then I'll rewind the videotape another half a dozen times and we'll look at the three causes of the leg swing and without exception we will find in that rider one, two, or three of those causes. Knowing that if we can identify what's causing the leg to swing, then we can, we can understand how to overcome it. So I guess what I'm saying is the leg swing, or and then I'm using the leg swing as a metaphor for a biomechanic imperfection. If we can understand what causes the leg to swing, then we can solve it. I think, unfortunately, a lot of us focus on your leg swings. Stop it. Well, right. I knew how to stop, but I would have done it years ago. In <laughs> fact, the leg swing is not important. It's what's causing it to swing that is so important. If we can understand the cause of it, if we can see it and own it and understand it, it's then and only then that we can really overcome it. So the biomechanics, that big, you know, <laughs> very impressive word, I think what it really comes down to this is, is this. Um, uh, uh, the only imperfections we have a difficult time overcoming are those that are hidden to us. So, so, the, so working in this area helps us to see our imperfections. And, and I've developed this little catchy phrase, see it to solve it. If you can see your imperfections on the videotape, you can own it. Yes, that is mine. I now agree with you. And then if you can understand what's causing it, now you can understand how to overcome it. So I've always said, in order to improve yourself, you need to see to solve, or you need to feel it to fix it. Do you sit with more weight in one seat bone? You're not sure. Let me see if I can help you to feel it. Now I bet you can, oh, I can sure feel it now. Great. Now that you can feel it, let's start working on fixing it. So um, uh, we're working on a second book right now. We're struggling with, with the subtitle. We might even consider something along the lines of seeing to solve or, or feel to fix something along those lines because we sure do believe in that principle. I like the seeing to solve because I, the last time that you were on Stable Scoop, I joked that uh, you know I was afraid to see myself on video and and I am because it would, you know, once I did see what was there, it would probably mean a heck of a lot of work to fix. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. after after reading the book and really getting into this topic in more detail, it's once you fix it, once you see it, solving it becomes actually much easier, doesn't it? Well, it really does. It, 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 well, I'm, I'm going to because otherwise you're just that. taking stabs I'm, in the dark. You don't know what you're fixing, so it's it's going to be harder and more frustrating and take a lot more time. Well, you know what? You could, you know, you you and your riders could work their whole lives on improving their balance. But what happens if you had if you have great natural intrinsic balance? Your time might be better spent identifying other imperfections. Perhaps like perhaps you're right-handed and you have an old right hip injury. Perhaps your time would be better spent on suppling the right hip so that it is equal to the opposite left hip, for example. The idea here is to see your imperfections is so important. Um, uh, if we're able to see them, then, then we, we know where our efforts need to be placed. Continuing to work on improving balance and suppleness and coordination is all very important. But if we want to take it to the next level, I really believe that you have to just own up to it. <laughs> Look at yourself, and, and I love that. Whenever I videotape people, and in our sport, it's, it's so cruel because I don't just videotape people. I make sure they put on really tight britches and tight <laughs> tops. <laughs> so, so you can see so everything. I can see everything, and then the videotape analyses are done almost always in large groups so that we can learn from each other. So you get to wear tight britches, a tight shirt, 
get videotaped from behind so I can see how straight you are. And then you have to show that to me in slow motion in front of 25 other people. Hmm. So, so, you know, you perhaps not wanting to be videotaped because it, in, it, it may indicate a great list of things to work on. Uh, I, I, I sure enjoy spending time with writers who dread being videotaped for other understandable reasons. <laughs> Yes, sign me up. Put me at the front of that list. (laughs) (laughs) So let's. Um, So now, in my book, all body shapes are 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 completely uh, um, appropriate for riding. All different body shapes have different strengths and weaknesses. The shorter you are, and the wider you are. Without question, the more balanced you are. The lower your center of gravity, and the wider your base of support, the more balanced you are. I love. uh, I love speaking with, with uh, uh, short or wide riders because they may, have them, they may misinterpret their body shape as a disadvantage when, in fact, uh, the, that body shape could be quite, uh, could, could be quite um, advantageous to riding. A tall, thin rider certainly has great long legs to wrap around their horse, but their center of gravity is elevated, meaning they will struggle a little bit more with their sense of balance. So, I uh, absolutely so love the, the body categories that you had, uh, the, the, the different framework, the Shetland and the Connemara and the oh, quarter horse. Yeah. I, I loved it because it did, you know, one of the things it did for me was to say, okay, this, well, yeah, that's my body shape. I identified my body shape. And then you did, you listed the different strengths and weaknesses of those particular body shapes. It's not something that I'm doing wrong or, or it's not a reflection of my ability or my devotion as a rider. It's just, this is what I have to work with. And then you say, okay, well, this is where I'm strong. This is where I can be confident. I don't necessarily have to work. For example, I'm, I'm a shorter rider. I have a lower, um, center of gravity. So I really don't have to worry too much about my, my balance that seems to come naturally, but there are other things because I have shorter legs. I, I, I don't have as an effective, um, my leg isn't as effective laterally, let's say. So it, it, it's kind of like seeing myself uh, on video. Oh, you know, you, yeah, you it, sort of it, put it, it someplace. You've, you put that each person's body shape into, um, I don't know, you've anchored it. Yeah, and it comes back to what we were talking about earlier, being able to see your quote-unquote imperfections and then to be able to overcome them. So as a tall, thin rider, sadly enough, one of your imperfections is likely your sense of balance. So your framework, which is our way of saying your homework to improve your frame, your framework would definitely include exercises to develop a greater sense of balance. Like you said, for the short, wider rider who has a good natural sense of balance, then they may need to look beyond that to say, well, well, I find that I, that I run out of gas pretty quick. I'm going to work on my stamina or I'm going to work on uh, my, my inner leg stamina so that I can maintain, because my leg doesn't wrap around, I must constantly give aids. I'm going to work on my inner leg stamina so that I can develop in a, a long-term stamina proof sort of a leg so that the muscle burn doesn't doesn't attack her you know their legs and, and take the effectiveness away from their leg so once again it goes back to just identifying our strengths and 
not avoiding, but also identifying our weaknesses, knowing that if we can identify our weaknesses, our human being weaknesses, and we're all imperfect. If we, if we can identify what our perfections are, whether or not that's height, weight, size, whether that is breathing, whether that is crookedness, stiffness, whether that is a posture, for example, whether that is rhythm, tempo, there are so many different attributes that are required to develop the complete rider. And the list is massive, you know, when you think about balance, symmetry, suppleness, independent use of the age, posture, breathing, core strength. There's this massive list of things that we need to check off on our way to developing, you know, equestrian greatness. If we could identify on that great list which our weaknesses are, now we know what to work on. And that will help bring us one step closer to that greatness, which we certainly all uh, aspire to achieving regardless of whether or not we compete, regardless of whether we just love trail riding, whether, whether or not we love just riding with our family. We all have goals, and I, I, I do truly believe that if we can identify what our strengths and weaknesses are, uh, then, then, then we can help increase the likelihood of achieving, of achieving those goals. One of the the weaknesses that I hear coming up a lot, it's it's mentioned a lot in discussion, um, is a lack of symmetry, and you address this so well. How common is the asymmetrical rider? And oh boy, yeah. and 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 what? Give us some examples of of uh, how our asymmetry shows up in our horse's way of going. Great question. I'm going to. I, I'm not sure if this will surprise anybody or not, but I would say over the last 12 or 15 years, I have probably videotaped no less than 10 or 12,000 riders. It's a, a very big part of my career, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that over 80% of riders are asymmetrical. Over 80% of riders are crooked. If we think about, if we want to define asymmetry in general, what well, we, we, we can make it simple or we can make it complex, but, but a, a simple definition of asymmetry would be uh, a crookedness. So we would like to sit up nice and straight. I've always said that in riding we see three, three letters from behind in a rider. We would love to see a letter I, a straight spine with a big dot on top, a big dot that is the helmet on top of a straight spine. I just, a I just sat up taller I. in my chair. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, instead of seeing the letter I all the time, 80%, at least 80% of the time, we see either a body shape that approaches what looks to be a letter C. And, I, and I, for, for, your, for your listeners, a letter C would just simply be, for example, sitting on the saddle, the right hip collapses, pushing the hips over to the left-hand side. Since the hips go to the left-hand side, the upper body drops over to the right to balance it out. So 10 pounds goes left in the hips, 10 pounds comes over to the right in the shoulders. As a result, the body draws a bit of a letter S shape, or I apologize, a letter C shape. The second letter that we see on the horse oftentimes is a letter S shape. This time the hips would go to the left and then the shoulders would pop up and move up and over to the right. It's a difficult concept to understand, definitely on a radio show. So I encourage people to pick up a copy of my book or any of the other wonderful books written on equestrian symmetry to look at the difference between a straight and a crooked rider. But, but as I said earlier, 80% of riders are crooked, and, and what we've identified is, is that crookedness, because we see so many, this is such a large percentage of riders being crooked, crookedness is, is caused by, by three or four pretty understandable things. The first thing it's caused by is being right or left-handed. As a, 
as a right-handed rider, for example, I tend to pick up feed buckets and cinch my girth and pick the hoop with the right side of my body. As a result, the right side gets pretty balanced, pretty coordinated, but it also gets pretty tight and pretty stiff. And then the second thing that, that interferes with our ability to be straight are injuries. The right side of the body being the dominant side is also more injury prone. If I'm going to get a tennis elbow, it's going to be on the elbow that holds the club. (laughs) It's going to be on the right elbow because that's the elbow doing the work. That's my dominant side. So 80% of riders we see crooked because we are either either right or left side dominant. We overuse one side of the body. And we also suffer injuries from time to time and whenever a part of the body is injured your body does a process called guarding all the muscles and tendons around that area will tighten up to protect and guard that area Um, a third thing that can affect our ability to ride straight are behavior patterns Uh, i i I have a uh, emma my little girl she's four years old now she's getting super heavy so in order for me to carry her around i've got to stick her on a hip and throw the hip way out to the side and (laughs) shift my shoulders to the other side uh, um, you know, uh, Lord help me if I have to carry Luca, he's eight and he's, <laughs> you know, he's weighing the same as me. So my behavior pattern when I walk carrying my children is quite a crooked pattern. If I walk to the barn with Emma on my hip, chances are pretty good I'm going to ride crooked today. If if you have a job as a, as a telephone operator and you speak on the phone with your head sort of cocked to the right-hand side all day long, chances are you're going to ride with your head cocked to the right-hand side. It all comes back to that m- muscle memory that we talked about earlier. So, so let's say so your question about symmetry is it's very prevalent in over 80% of riders, and the reason is is because we live our lives in such a non-symmetrical way. Uh, so so let's, anyways, let's yeah. say that I... Um... I, I'm, I'm right-sided dominant, and uh, you know I'm I'm on my horse, and I, and in and what am, what little things am I going to see in his way of going that might make me stop and say, hmm, maybe it's my lack of symmetry that's doing this. Well, how will that? Let I guess how, what you, symptoms will I see in my horse? Let me give you a great symptom, and this is just the the neatest symptom, and it and it should shock us. But it, it, it doesn't. There are two or three. There are two or three things that we can look for when 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 we're on our horse. If you're looking with the with the assistance of a video camera, for example, it's easy. You can see more weight in one strip. You can see, you know, your belt line is depressed on the right-hand side, indicating more weight in the right strip. And one thing that I like to look at riders with ponytails is is the rider's ponytail right over top of the pony's tail, you know, or is it sort of leaning over to one side? With the videotape, we can identify these things. However, without the videotape, we're left on our own. In order to fix our, our symmetry, we must be able to feel it. With the videotape, we can see it to solve it. Without it, we must feel it to fix it. Here is a really great one that I'd like you to, to, to share with, with, your, with your listeners. It's very interesting when I videotape riders from behind. Let's say that a rider is in the letter C shape. Their hips move more to the left-hand side. Instead of the hips going left, right, left, right, which would be great, which would be ideal, because that indicates equal right and left hip uh, coordination, suppleness, symmetry, that sort of thing. Instead of the hips moving right, left, right, let's, let's imagine that the rider's hips move more left, 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 left. That occurs when the rider's right hip is stiff. So as we see a rider going up center line, their hips go left, 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 left. As a result, 
You can imagine what the horse is thinking. The horse is listening to the rider, and the horse pulls over to the left of center line a little tiny bit, and then this is what I see in 100% of the cases. I see the rider's right hand Mm. pull the horse over to the right-hand side. So the hips go left, 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 and then the rider's right hand unconsciously pulls over to the right, 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 right. As a result, the hips go left, the hands go right, the horse goes straight, but he's crooked. And I've always sort of used the metaphor of a, have you ever been in a, in a supermarket and you get that shopping cart that's kind of busted? Every <laughs> week. <it> straight. <laughs> Every, Every week. week right? <laughs> so you push it straight, but it goes to the left. So in order for you to make it go straight, you have to push it to the right. And it kind of goes like all crooked up the frozen food section. This is the same thing that happens on our horses. The horse goes straight up center line. Our hips push it to the left. The hands pull it to the right. The horse goes straight, but he's feeling crooked. So this is what I encourage your riders to really think about when they're riding. Go up go up a center line. I encourage you not to go up the rail because the horse is, he'll hold himself on the rail because of the physical limitation of the rail. Go up center line. Go right up from A to C or, or in a field. Just just fix your, your vision on a post and, and ride towards that post as straight as you can. Feel your hands. Your hands are often a very great barometer for what is going on in the rest of your body. If the horse is listening to your hips moving left and your hands are constantly going right, 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 then just give it a try. Move your hips over to the right a little tiny bit. Left, right, left, right, left, right. Instead of just left, 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 and see if we can use our body as an aid to create a straight horse rather than the hands to overcome an imperfection created by imperfect hips, for example. So I think that's a really neat one. Have our listeners really think about the role of their hips and their hands. Do they say the same thing, or does one... Uh, creating perfection, demanding the other one to overcome that. And another one that I think a lot of riders do, and this should shock us as well, but it never does. <laughs> I'll teach a group of riders. At the end of the clinic, I'll say, oh, riders, please proceed to center, halt. Everybody will come to the center, and without question, every now and then, somebody just unconsciously, and if you think about it, I bet you a lot of your listeners have done this, they, they come to center, they halt, and then they just kind of jump on the right stirrup a little tiny because the saddle slipped off to the left. Oh, that's me. That's me. Okay, well, see, here's the point. Why did, why did we just do that? Why did <laughs> I just jump on the right stirrup? You know why? Because I bet your hips are moving more to the left-hand side. Interesting. Now, we jump on the right stirrup, but we've never asked ourselves, now why in the world did I just do that? <laughs> right. Just do it to correct the saddle. But if we take it a step back and be super responsible about it, we should, when we jump on that right stirrup, go, oh, my gosh, why did I just do that? What must I have done in my ride today to create the saddle slipping to the left? And what can I do in the future to overcome that? So it's a, those are some, some kind of neat exercises you can, you can uh, uh, have your riders or have your, your listeners consider doing. So now once we, let's say we, um, we are, we're asking ourselves these questions, why am I adjusting my position at the halt after, you know, what, why, why am I doing these things? Why am I um, crooked? I either see the video or I'm, I'm working to fix these imperfections. Is it possible to develop an intuitive sense of straightness, um, balance, all of these things that we're trying to, to solve by seeing them and then repeating the fixes. In other words, if we, if we keep doing it, will this straightness, will these imperfections go away? And will that become an intuitive part of how we ride? Will it become second nature eventually? It's a 
It's a great question, and, and I like where that question goes because I get, I get the impression up until this point we've been talking about imperfections. We've been talking about what riders can suffer from. Uh, and I like this because I think we can now start to talk about uh, about the positive side of the biomechanics. And you, you, you hit the nail right on the head. If we can identify what our imperfections are and we can recreate the, per- the imperfections so that it is more in line with perfect, and then we can continue to repeat that same pattern over and over again, then we can increase the likelihood of, of developing a new way of riding. Um, I, I, I wanted to say one more word. Muscle memory, there, there, are, there are many things that challenge riders, including, uh, including being crooked, including stiffness, including wind and rain and dogs and horses. <laughs> and ducks. <laughs> they definitely, and ducks. They, they, these things all challenge us. However, I'm going to go on a limb here. I'm going to say one of the greatest challenges riders have are their own muscle memory. For example, that telephone operator who <clears throat> speaks with her head cocked to the right-hand side all day long, she will ride with her head tilted to the right-hand side. It stays tilted to the right-hand side because it feels normal. And as riders, we normally equate correctness with what feels normal. Mm. <clears throat> now, let's talk about how we can overcome it. That rider, if she puts herself in front of a mirror and closes her eyes and moves her body and then puts herself into what she feels is a straight position and then opens her eyes, if she opens her eyes and can see the crookedness in her in her head carriage, she then can admit to herself, my muscle memory is imperfect. So what she'll do right in front of that mirror, she will stick her head on crit. She'll, she'll grab it and she'll turn it and she'll make it so that her head is straight it will no longer feel straight. It will go against her muscle memory. However, she has the visual feedback from the mirror to show her that it is straight. It no longer feels straight, but she can see that it's straight. And then ideally what she would do is she would just repeat that pattern over and over again until the day that she can stand in front of a mirror, shake her body, close her eyes, open her eyes, and she is straight. What she's done is she's identified the imperfect muscle memory. She's overcome it by making herself uncomfortable by putting herself in front of a mirror and standing in a symmetrical straight position even though it didn't feel like it and she repeated that pattern over and over again until her body reset the muscle memory now we do these with riders um, to a much stronger degree. For example, we'll test a rider's ability to land equally in their stirrups. For a jumper, it's very important to land equally in their stirrups. We'll actually put a balance board on the ground in front of the rider. We'll then ask the rider to jump and land on that balance board. And the balance boards we use have stirrups on, on each side of the balance board. So we'll say, put one foot beside each balance, uh, one foot off of each side of the balance board. Now, three, two, one, jump up, land on that balance board with one foot right on each stirrup. Uh, if they jump those up Those are stirrup graphics, board, right? <laughs> oh, they're just great. Yeah, they're just stirrup <laughs> graphics. They're not actual. <laughs> they're just... Just want to make that clear, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They jump. They'll jump off the ground and land on the board. If they land on that balance board ten times in a row and the board hits the ground on the right hand side, that rider has just learned a great deal about themselves. That rider has learned that perhaps they're right-handed, right side dominant, and they have a tendency to go to the right side. So now that the rider has identified what their muscle memory is to land on the right strip, they continue doing that jumping jack exercise over and over and over again until the day that they can jump up 
and down off of that balance board 20 times, and each of those 20 times, they land perfectly in the strip without the board moving to the right or the left-hand side. Knowing that it Two weeks ago, they jumped in 10 times in a row. It hit the right side of the ground. Two weeks later, they jump on the board 10 times in a row. It stays perfectly balanced. That rider has reset their muscle memory because they now know what it feels like to land equally in their stirrups. So the balance board, we call it the stable board. Because you can, um, uh, because it's not very stable. Uh, that's the purpose of a balance board, and because you can use it at the stable, it's kind of a, a, a neat concept. Uh, and it was funny when we were developing the, the stable board. My wife, it used to be called the unstable board. My <laughs> wife was like, "Well, aren't you that positive speaking guy? Don't people hire you to cheer them up and stuff? Isn't unstable kind of negative?" <laughs> so, so I was like, "Yeah, well, you know, that's just well." Yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> That's why they call us the better half. Okay. <laughs> That's oh, fair enough. I, I figured that one out. So it's called the stable board. It helps you to become more stable. It can be used at the stable. And it is a, a major, major tool in the development of the equestrian athlete, not just because it develops the stamina and, and that sort of thing that cross training the equestrian athlete is, that focuses on, but it because, literally because it is a tool that we're using to reset rider's muscle memory and that's the 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 stable board is is just one tool in a kit that i think you can you can build for yourself because the other thing that you talk about in ride right um are exercises specific to the sport of riding so you know the the use of the stable board is fabulous especially like you said in trying to um to reset your muscle memory, for example, jumpers, you know, to, to land equally. Um, but there are other exercises that are specific to, to riding and, um, you know, pick up for you listeners, pick up a copy of ride, right. And it is chock full of really great exercises. Some that you may have seen before, but there are plenty that you haven't. Um, and you know, I don't know if this is obvious, but I mean, Daniel, you, you can certainly go into it and is, you know, exercises, riding specific exercises. Those are important because. Well, so riding specific exercises, and in, 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 I, I think this is just super, super important here. When I was brought on uh, to the U.S. team and then another young rider team, they had, before working with me, they had brought in a personal trainer from a hockey team. I think the, the I think the trainer was in the neighborhood a friend of somebody. The trainer came in, and we have all of these riders looking to to develop suppleness and balance and mental focus. And the hockey trainer had these guys for the developing power and exertion and 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 threat and uh, you know what I'm saying. He was, mm-hmm. They were developing what uh, what I consider to be a, a, a skill set that is not really appropriate for riders. We should not be out there trying to intimidate our competitors or our horses with a great deal of muscle and pressure and power. Our, our, our riding specific exercises take into consideration the necessity, the attributes that are required to be a great rider. So, so equestrian specific exercises focus on that longness we talked about before, focus on developing balance, suppleness, stamina, core strength, posture, breathing, the attributes that we really can identify with great riding. Now, when it comes to rider-specific exercises, we had to follow several different rules when developing the exercises. The first rule is this. The exercises need to really make an effort to imitate the movement of the actual sport. That's why um, rowers, uh, uh, people who live on the Northeast, they do a lot of rowing. It's, I think it's a long canoe kind of a thing, and eight people will be 
and they'll row in and they'll be synchronized. It's an amazing sport. But in the wintertime, when the river freezes over, those rowers go to the gym and work on the rowing machine because the rowing machine is specific to their sport. It uses the muscles in the same way as their muscles need to be used in the actual sport. So I think the rowing machine does a really good job of connecting a sport with an exercise. That is a rowing-specific exercise. The riding-specific exercises that we've developed all make it look like you're riding. Every single exercise, you imitate the posting trot, the sitting trot, the canter, you change leads, you do tempi changes, you jump, you release, you in- open your inside shoulder when, when, you, when you land. All of the exercises look and feel like riding. In addition to, and that's called specificity of sport, exercises need to be developed specific to their sport. The second principle that that the riding-specific exercises have to follow is something called the overload principle, and that's basically just when our training sessions create a greater level of level of difficulty than our actual mounted sessions. So for example, um, uh, in overloading is something done in every sport. I think we've all seen, uh, I think we've probably all seen, for example, a baseball player. Before he goes to home plate to face the pitcher, he will go to the, the warm-up area and he will swing three bats with weights on the end of them. Then when he goes to face the pitcher, mm-hmm. he drops all the weights, two of the bats, now his, his bat feels really light and really fast. I have uh, um, I have 60 coaches in the U.S. teaching these equestrian fitness classes. One of them grew up as a competitive swimmer, and her coach made her swim lap after lap after lap in her clothes, knowing that she's going to be pulled down, drugged down. But on Saturday, when it comes to the swim meet, she gets to swim in a really slippery little suit, and she's going to feel super effective that day. So the overload principle is something we use, whether you do aerobics with ankle weights. You know what I'm saying? We all use the overload principle. In riding, we use it by riding without stirrups, riding with our eyes closed, that sort of thing. So the the second principle with the rider-specific exercises is they're really hard. They actually make it very difficult for you to do the exercise ideally so that when you get on the horse, it will feel easier, easy compared to the exercise. And you mentioned earlier that we don't just use the, the balance board. We use a great many of the, you know, the large fitness balls that people can sit on, for yeah, example. Yeah, yeah, yeah just a great exercise for any discipline sit on the ball in front of a mirror so put the ball close to the mirror and sit right up on it just bounce on the ball a little bit as if you're imitating the sitting trot or even you can bounce a posting trot with your feet on the ground your hands on the mirror when you feel comfortable take your hands off the mirror now bounce the sitting trot or the posting trot when you feel comfortable lift your feet off off the ground with your feet coming off the ground you're going to have an immediate sensation of whether or not you have the same amount of weight in each seat bone. If you're pushing more into one seat bone, the ball will roll away from you. It'll, it'll roll out from underneath you, okay? I'm not <laughs> saying you'll fall off the ball, but you'll lose your balance. The only I will way fall off to, the ball, trust the, me. The only way to sit the trot on that big ball is if you have the exact same amount of weight in each seat bone. So what a great way. So, so that exercise is quite a bit more difficult than actually sitting on the saddle while your horse walks around. So I think that one does a good, uh, does a good job of teaching, uh, of showing us the, 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 the importance of the, of the overload principle. If you can sit a trot on a big inflatable ball with the exact same amount of weight in each seat bone, the next time you sit in the saddle, you close your eyes, you remind yourself what it felt to sit so perfectly symmetrical, and then you recreate that sensation in your saddle, and that's a great way to develop symmetry in the saddle by using the overload principle in your training. 
So uh, those are probably the two main principles of rider-specific exercise. Is they need to look like riding, the specificity of sport, and they also have the overload principle. And, of course, the third one is you need to see it to solve it. If you can see yourself jumping on that stable board 10 times in a row, landing in your right stirrup, if you can see that happening in the mirror, you will understand it. You'll own it. You'll have a desire to want to overcome it. Um, so specificity of sport, overload principle, and see to solve. Those I love all these technical terms. It's, it's, it, so it, technical. It, it gives you something to grab onto because I think um, a lot of us are, are out there trying to solve these problems without um, – Without a railing, without something to hold on to. So now that there there are these programs, there are these sports-specific um, exercises, it, it definitely gives you something to grab onto and work with. It's uh, sort of like a support system. Um, and yeah. on that note, I just we need to take a quick break for a, a commercial, and we're going to hear quickly from Equestrian Collections, and then we're going to be right back with Daniel Stewart which is, as we're talking about Ride Right. <laughs> Your source for all your holiday shopping this year is EquestrianCollections.com. EquestrianCollections.com offers all the holiday gift-giving ideas that you would ever want for your wife, for your husband, for the horsey kids in your life, for your horse. You can cover them all, your farrier, your veterinarian, all the professionals in the horse world are covered as well. You can find all the gifts you'd possibly need at equestriancollections.com. And just for the listeners of the Horse Radio Network, they have offered a coupon. Just a promo. use the promo code radio show, all one word radio show, at checkout and you'll get $10 off your next order of $120 or more. So that's coupon code radio show at checkout and you'll get $10 off your next order of $120 or more for all of your holiday shopping needs at equestriancollections.com. And we're back with our guest today, Daniel Stewart. We're talking about his book um, and his philosophies called Ride Right and how we can all balance our bodies and our minds to become better and the saddle. Now, Daniel, I, I had to cut you off at the, our last segment there. Um, we were talking about exercises specific to the sport of riding that's not just the physical exercises there's there's another whole another module to riding right and um it it's it's a big one it doesn't take up a lot of space but but it's a big one and that's our that's our mind so and that could be that's this is what i call the scary stuff uh you know i i I hate we're gonna have to talk about it uh but let, let us talk about how the mind needs to be fit to ride right as well as the body does. Well, I'm, I'm sure glad that you that you, you brought that up because because I, I I admire riders that like I said earlier because we work so hard on developing the riders we we work so hard on developing the horses balance symmetry straightness and suppleness knowing that they will create success in the horse. However, um, a lot of riders who uh, may stop there, let's encourage them to now work on their balance suppleness uh, symmetry and that sort of thing. But now let's remind them not to stop there as well. It needs to go beyond that. At this point, we need to literally push ourselves beyond what is um, uh, perhaps what comes natural and go beyond that. At this point, 
we need to think and we need to remember this, that the body of the rider is important, but so is the brain. The brain and the body, and the subtitle of my book, The Frame and Frame of Mind of the Rider, speaks to that. The frame, talking about the biomechanics, talking about the athlete in us. The frame talks about that, but the frame of mind is so very important to talk about as well because, and, and I, I hope this doesn't hurt anybody's feelings, but no matter how great, and how straight and supple and symmetrical you become, no matter how great your core strength is, no matter how wonderful your rhythm and your posture is, no matter how wonderful all those athletic attributes are, it doesn't matter how great they become, nothing will take it away from you quicker than a little pressure or a little (laughs) distraction or a little frustration or a little disappointment or a little performance anxiety or show jitters. And I just, that relationship has been, it's been such a, a, a such a guiding force in, in, in my career. You, 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 I think we started the show by saying, why did you want to write this book? Why did you want to work with writers in, in perhaps a bit of a different way? And it's because of this. I see the world's most wonderful writers every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday afternoon, after school or after work. They come to the barn and they write just wonderful. But guess what happens to those wonderful writers on Saturday when they're put in front of a judge, you know, or on Sunday when they go to a class with four or five people who are in front of them? <clears throat> I guess what I'm saying is that if we, can, if we can become the kind of great athletic writer on Saturday at the show that we are on Wednesday at home, I think that would really help us not just to improve our ability to succeed, but I think it would help us to, to increase our overall enjoyment of our, of our chosen sport. So focusing on the body, I think, is a, is a, is a huge um, movement in the correct direction, but I think that we have to continue northward from the body <laughs> and go a little further up and, and hit the mind as well. I've always... I've, really do believe in this. There's a true relationship between performance and pressure. It seems that when pressure goes up, our performance tends to go down, or when pressure goes up, our potential tends to go down, or when pressure goes up, possibilities go down. I saw that firsthand in in one of your clinics that when you did um at equine affair recently you 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 held a clinic and in which you had a a group of riders do uh one of the exercises was um the zipper and there were (laughs) these were several young ladies who uh you know during the warm-up you you, we were all watching and they were clearly very good riders very athletic um they had a lot of that physical uh ability And then, of course, you increased the pressure and their performance just tanked. And they didn't – it was like, what? You know, you can sort of see the expression on their faces like, what just happened here? <laughs> but it was For you listeners who didn't get to see that or who didn't get to hear one of our earlier radio shows, that was – the zipper is a part of a series called Psycho Clinics. It's, it, they're clinics that, that step away from focusing on uh, um, the seat bones and the legs and the, and the posture – it's a clinic that focuses on developing, um, what do we call it, pressure-proofness? <laughs> sure, it you can call anything you want. Yeah, pressure-proof. and those yeah. riders were just, they, you were right, they were beautiful young riders, very effective, very well-schooled riders. But as soon as I started to put pressure on those riders, as soon as I started rushing them and distracting them and creating in them emotions of disappointment, all of a sudden, every great thing they'd ever learned in their whole life went away. <laughs> and it, it, was, it was a little unfair, but I even asked the trainer, 
of the, of the four young ladies. I said, when's the last time you saw these four young ladies ride so poorly? She says, never. <laughs> I can't believe what's happening to my riders. Now, that, that, when we connect the dots between that pressure that I put on them and the drop in their performance, we all have to agree that in addition to improving our, supp- our, our, our balance, suppleness and symmetry, we must also make a big effort to improve our ability to deal with pressure, distractions, anxiety, rushing. Uh, those are the kind of things that sort of uh, uh, get to us um, when, when we compete, for example. And what a shame when you think about it. What a shame. These riders have worked their whole lives to develop this great leg and great seat. And then it all goes away from them when when, when they compete. And I've always kind of defined showing as your ability to show off what you've learned. And I do find it a bit of a shame that riders learn so much, but then when they get the opportunity to show it off, they get nervous and tense, distracted and upset, and they don't get the opportunity to show it off. So if riders can focus on developing through, you know, a, a sports psychology seminar like the one that my, myself and, and my coaches teach, if they can, if they can work on developing a, a you know, self-belief and focus and mental confidence, uh, the ability to overcome the, oh my gosh, everybody's watching. It makes me so nervous. If we can <laughs> overcome these sort of things, then that great hip, seat, and leg that we've been talking about for the last half an hour can get shown off. They can rise to the surface. No longer does the distraction and the pressure and the anxiety force them down, push them down, squeeze them away. A rider can work really hard on their their biomechanics. They can work really hard on their mental approach. And in that, I believe, uh, we create the potential for greatness. And I've always said that there are good physical riders in this world and there are good mental riders in this world. When you bring those two riders together, that good physical and that good mental rider, when they come together, you create the great rider. I really do believe that, that riding is brain and body. In your book, you list some of the qualities um, that make a good rider, that that make a good mental rider. They, uh, specifically, they are mental focus, confidence, self-control, positive thinking, and patience. Now, you know, patience is pretty self-explanatory. We know what that is, um, but we could all use help in getting there. There's positive thinking. Again, we know what that is. Um, Sometimes you do need a little help to to stay positive. Um, But two, I think that are at least for me personally, and probably a lot of people that I, a lot of my peers are confidence and self-control because the smallest things and a variety of things can shake your confidence. Um, you know, let's talk for a minute about that. And then yeah. self-control, what, what do you mean by self-control? Well, I, I, I tell you, and, and, and I think this will, I think some of your listeners will get a, would get a kick out of this. There are a lot of attributes that, that define a great rider, such as confidence and self-control. And here's an easy way to remember this. If you think of the letter C, the letter C helps us to identify a great number of attributes that we should chase after, such as confidence, control, calmness, coolness, 
um, competitiveness, coordination, um, consideration. It's interesting, you know, we, we can say to ourselves, oh my gosh, everybody's watching, I hope I do well, or we can say to ourselves, I'm going to do great because I'm calm, cool, collected, confident, competent, courageous, centered, capable, competitive, uh, uh, cute. <laughs> There's all of these great C emotions. So, so when, when creating that list of what, am I, what, am, what are my goals, I really encourage your listeners to think of the letter C and come up with three or four emotions, attributes that they would like to, to develop. Uh, and I think thinking of the letter C helps us to do that. Now, without a question, the control, the word control is the biggest C emotion of all. Without control, it's difficult. Do you agree? Without control, without the feeling of being in control, we can't really be very calm. Mm-hmm. And we can't really be very confident, and we certainly can't be, uh, um, unfortunately, very competitive. Uh, and and, and I, I think this is a neat story. I might have mentioned it in one of your other radio shows. Just imagine that you're having this beautiful ride. You're calm. You're confident. You have great feeling of control. Everything is great. And then a Harley Davidson goes flying right by <laughs> you. The reins snap off in your hands, and your horse takes off straight towards a massive cactus. Okay. <laughs> now you're nervous. You agree. Now we're a little bit nervous. And the reason is, is because we have lost the perception of being controlled. Yeah. Well, when a cactus is rushing at you at a hundred miles an hour. <laughs> exactly. We no longer feel that we're in control. So then our heart rate increases. We start to sweat. We start to, you know what I'm saying? Then it's the psychosomatic symptoms that start to pop up. You know, like we get sweaty, we get nervous, we get tense, we tighten our muscles, we hold our breath. As long as we can avoid that loss of control, we can control our confidence, our competence, our calmness, our, our courage, those sort of things. So I, I like how this little package gets wrapped. It gets wrapped with a ribbon of letter C's. Mm. But the big one is the, the word control. As long as we can maintain control or even the perception of control, even the perception of it, we can't control our emotions. Sadly, when we lose the control, our emotions will start to control us. And that's where we, that's where we find ourselves, you know, tense and tight and anxious and breath-holding and, and stiff. So, uh, so as we... That's a real good point, but, but control is the... Control is the... Control controls all of the other emotions that, that, that we as riders can, can, can experience, positive or negative. So if we, um, if we have exercises to work on the athletic side of the sport, the, the physical, the biomechanics, there are, um, and some listeners may know this, but you also offer clinics um, across the country on their psycho clinics. And these are sessions that actually help riders exercise the mental side of riding. Is that a fair that, that, assessment? That, that, that's right. Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, there, there, there's an interesting way that, that my clinics have developed. I generally will teach a two-day two clinic at, at a location. On the first day, I will do that videotape analysis for everybody in my clinic so that we can identify how their leg looks and how their posture is and that sort of thing. So during the day, we do the videotape analysis so we can identify how great their frame is. Before those riders go home, however, they have to sit and listen to my sports psychology seminar because on that Saturday, I want to impress upon them how important it is to focus on both the brain and the body, the frame and the frame of mind. Frame and frame of mind. Sunday morning, we wake up again 
During the day on Sunday, I teach them two or three psycho clinics to help them identify how to strengthen their mental approach to riding. But before I let them go home on Sunday, I teach them the equestrian fitness program. So Sunday is also another example of frame and frame of mind. Each day actually combines exercises to develop the mental and the physical rider. And I think it's a very responsible program. We just don't go into a barn and tell people, get your heels down, open those shoulders. Mm. We'll actually go in there and we'll help them identify imperfections in their frame and their frame of mind and then give them tools before we leave that weekend how to improve their position and how to improve their mental focus, their confidence, their control. I, I like this. I like the fact that it's that the two different parts of the rider are the the image, the visual image that comes to mind is ribboned. They're, they're sort of the ribbons of, of the rider are interwoven um, Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you focus just on the physical stuff and then you go to the mental and they're compartmentalized that you actually weave them together. Um, it's, it's yeah, something yeah. That they might... need to be weaved together because, again, the, the world's most balanced and supple rider will have a difficult time achieving success if they are nervous. The world's most confident rider will have difficulty achieving success if they are constantly crooked. The brain and body, the mind and the, and, uh, the, mind and the body, the frame and the frame of the and mind, they must come together in order to create that, that complete rider and in doing so create the potential to, to, to create success. Well, I, I hate to say this, but um, it's, been a, it's been an hour here <laughs> and I feel like we're just getting, we're just getting started. Um, but as we wrap up, Daniel, uh, tell our listeners how they can find out more about um, your teaching philosophy, your clinics, where someone can get a copy of Ride Right, and uh, how generally they can get more information about uh, you and what you have to offer. Thank you for that. It's, it, I think it's actually going to be pretty simple. We have a brand new website, and at the website they can read all about the, the clinics, the different kind of clinics and the different seminars that I teach. They can also see a list of the cities that I'm going to be teaching in. So they could say, well, Coach Stewart's going to be in Kansas City December 20th. Oh, I'm going to go over and audit his class, listen to a seminar, participate as a writer. So um, the, the new website is Stewart Clinics. Dot com So that's Stuart Clinics, and that's plural. I think Stuart Clinic is like a physical therapy something, but Stuart Clinics, plural. We'll, we'll put a link to it website. in our show notes as well. Okay, great. Yeah, and, and there they'll be able to learn all about the clinics. They can, um, they can order an autographed copy of my book. And they can read about a couple of the other things that I'm uh, working on these days. I we've just started a young riders, uh, a young rider program here in in Southern Florida. So there's a ton of things to do. There are also two films on my video uh, on my on my website. Uh, two really nicely done films. So uh, the riders can go there. They can certainly order a book or one of those stable boards. They can order it from the website as well. Uh, and they can certainly read everything about me, where I'm going to be, and what uh, what I'm teaching. And do remind your riders, I teach clinics in, in a different city every weekend, and, uh, and I'd be happy to, to, to come and visit them. So, again, stewardclinics.com is where they can find uh, pretty much everything they ever need to know about <laughs> me and my clinics. Thank you. <laughs> and the book is called Ride Right with Daniel Stewart. And we will put, as I said, we'll put links to, uh, to Daniel's website and where you can purchase Ride Right, right on stablescoop.com. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me in this one-on-one episode, our, my, my first show all by myself. Of course, I have to have one of the, the biggest, most impressive guests on. Um, I, how did I do performance-wise? I did okay, huh? 
I, I thought you did well. I was wondering whether I was talking too much. There's so, no I such see, thing. I think you and I would get along great. We we could fill up show after show, I imagine. I, There's no no shortage of the two of us wanting to talk. <laughs> well, we'll have to get you out here to New England and, uh, and, and run a couple of clinics for us this way. We could certainly use your I, I love it. All right, and we will have you. We'll have you back on again. You're all over the Horse Radio Network. So, to our listeners who are Daniel Stewart fans, go to horseradionetwork.com. Of course, check out stablescoop.com, and you can see when Daniel will be joining us again. So, thank you, Daniel, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. You have a nice day. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And that was Daniel Stewart. And his book is Ride Right. I really do hope you guys pick up a copy of it. I have my own copy, and uh, I was extremely impressed with, um, with, with the depth of information, the, and it's easy to use. It's full of pictures and, and text. So whether you're a visual learner or a traditional learner, I, I think this book is really going to be something that every rider needs to have in their reference collection. So we will put all the links to Daniel's information at stablescoop.com. And again, tune in for uh, more episodes that feature Daniel. He will be on Horses in the Morning, and he will also be again on Stable Scoop. And uh, before we sign out, we're going to hear from one of our favorite sponsors, Uncle Jimmy's. What could be better for the holidays than a gift from Uncle Jimmy's? Where else can you get hanging balls and squeezy buns for that horse lover in your life? Horses love Uncle Jimmy's treats, and their owners do too. No stocking is complete without an Uncle Jimmy's treat. Don't disappoint your horse this holiday season. Treat him to Uncle Jimmy's. Learn more about the products and to find a dealer near you, visit uncle-jimmys.com. That's uncle-jimmys.com. Be sure to log on next Friday for another episode of Stable Scoop. For details about today's show, go to www.stablescoop.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about Daniel Stewart. As always, we love your feedback. So please follow us on Facebook under Stable Scoop and Twitter at Horse Radio. Of course, you're welcome to leave us feedback at stablescoop.com front slash contact at any time. Many thanks to our sponsors, Equestrian Collections and Uncle Jimmy's Brand Products. Be sure to visit all the great shows on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. <laughs>